Hello, everyone. I am Chase Jarvis, and welcome to another episode of the Chase Jarvis Live Show here on Creative Live. This is where I sit down with the world's top creatives, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders, and I do my very best to unpack actionable and valuable insights that help you live your dreams in your career, in your hobby, and that thing called life. My guest today is the one and only Ariana Huffington. Ariana Huffington, if you don't know, again, I really have a hard time believing that you might not know Ariana Huffington, but, and I don't say that in an attempt to put anyone who wouldn't know of her down, but she's just so widely known. She started that thing. She's the co-founder, president, and editor-in-chief of the Huffington Post. That was a news and blog site that that really quickly came on the scene and became one of the most widely read, widely linked to, and frequently cited media brands on the internet. I mentioned she's the co-founder, but she also then sold that thing to AOL for 315 million bucks. So she's a journalist at heart, but she also turned entrepreneur, and that sort of combination of artist and entrepreneur is something that I I love about Ariana. She was named one of Time Magazine's top 100 most influential people. Holy smokes. And uh, she's on the Forbes list of the most powerful women on the internet. Um, she's also the author of many, many books. I mentioned sort of her journalism thing. She just consider her a writer. She has written 15, count them, one five books, including her latest book on a topic which has become later in life for me here, near and dear to my heart, and that topic is sleep. Yeah, you probably heard me if you've been listening to this show or my stuff for a while, you know that I actually used to wear my ability to work super long hours and not sleep. I used to wear that as a badge of honor. But uh, one time in particular, after a vacation of going really, really hard for about uh, three months, I went on vacation and I, I just slept the entire time. All my friends were out having a good time. My friends and family in Hawaii and I slept somewhere on the order of 15 plus hours a day. I was thoroughly exhausted. And after that sort of binge sleeping, I truly felt entirely different, different than I ever had in my entire life. That was a cue that sleep was important if all the science and that stuff uh, was something I wasn't paying attention to. But in this uh, interview, this episode, we talk about sleep because that is the topic of her new book. And we talk so much about this stuff in ways that I know you haven't heard before. We talk about for example, how a lack of sleep affects creativity, really, really negatively affects creativity. We talk not about morning routines, but about night rituals. I'm a freak about morning routines. I protect my mornings viciously and I realized I was super sloppy about what I do before I go to bed, and she totally whipped me into shape, and I, did, I found it fascinating, and I confess I have put this stuff into practice, and it is powerful medicine. I mean, just some very, very simple things. We talk about the alarm clock. I, I learned a lot from her in this uh, section of what we were talking about, the alarm. Wow. I'll, I'll leave it at that. It's somewhere, it's in, the, it's in the middle of the interview. That being said, we talked about other things. We talked about her journalism. We talked about some entrepreneur stuff, but we really focused on sleep because it's sort of, as I mentioned just a second ago, a little bit of a personal obsession of mine right now. And one note that I know is going to be valuable to you folks who listen to a lot of podcasts is I was the very first person to interview her about this new book. And her new book, for, for those of you who haven't read it, it is The Sleep Revolution, Transforming Your Life One Night at a Time. And when people go on book tours, they end up, uh, you know, after having, you know, 10, 20, 30, 50 interviews, these answers start to feel and sound really 
can. They're perfect. Well, I got to her first. This was the first interview, and you can tell that this is just sort of raw. It's very real, and I know that you're going to love it. You can hear this sort of freshness in her voice. It's it's just an awesome conversation. So again, this is all about sleep, um, aside from those few tidbits that I remarked on earlier, but this really is a keystone habit to life. I've changed my sleep patterns dramatically over the course of the past, uh, I'll say, 18 months, and my life is much better for it. We do touch on the science, but I, I, there's a lot of practical applications here for losing weight, for improving performance, and gen- just generally being more awesome. And she does leave us with one, it was this fascinating little section on how to sleep your way to the top. Her words, not mine, I promise. But before we get into the show, I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Creative Live. Creative Live is the world's largest hub for online creative education. Education in photo, video, art design, music and audio, and the ability to make a living and a life in those disciplines. It's the highest quality, highly curated classes taught by the world's top experts. We're talking Pulitzer Prize winners, Oscar winners, Grammy Award winners, New York Times bestselling authors, and the best entrepreneurs of our time. Names like Richard Branson, Mark Cuban, Ariana Huffington are on the platform. And you get classes taught from guys like Tim Ferriss, Lewis Howes, uh, Ramit Sethi. Again, I could list uh, a thousand other names of the top photographers, designers, musicians, the best in class. You get it. Now, right now, if you're familiar with me and my work, you might be saying, well, wait a minute. Isn't that a company that you started, Chase? Well, yes, it is. In fact, Creative Live makes this entire podcast possible. And in fact, all of my longstanding Chase Jarvis Live shows. Creative Live has millions of students around the world. More than 2 billion minutes of education have been consumed on that video platform. So, you know, that's a little bit of the sort of the what and the how behind Creative Live. But here's the why, which I think is so critical. Creative Live exists to help you live your dreams in career, hobby, and life. In short, I started Creative Live with a bunch of really committed friends because we saw a a big need in the world. We wanted to help our peers and friends and, and folks out there in the world transition to new careers, live new dreams, take the leap, if you will, into an entirely different sort of direction where you can leave that job, maybe your job with the man, and strike out on your own. I also saw my peers in the photo and design world needing to sort of up their skills and get ahead. And I saw friends who were happily working at great companies but wanted to pursue their hobby to a next level that you know, might someday parlay into a side hustle. So we built that platform. Uh, these classes at Creative Live are the most highly and authentically produced of any of the online video platforms you'll experience. The top experts, it's all shot with 48 cameras, all in HD, beautifully presented and accessible on desktop, tablet, mobile. You know I stand for quality and that's what Creative Live uh, puts out. To that end, I have also taken it upon myself to curate a handful of my very favorite classes and mix them in with some of the top performing classes on Creative Live. And I'll bake that into a landing page called creativelive.com slash hustle just for you. This community listens to our podcast here. So you should go there and you should check that out as a special thank you for being a podcast listener. If you find a class that you love, either from the ones that I've curated or elsewhere on the site, and you want to buy it, during checkout, enter the code CHASER. That's my name plus an R, just C-H-A-S-E-R. And do that during checkout and you'll get 25% off your order. Uh, I think that's awesome and I hope you do too. So thanks very much for checking it out. Let me know what you think. Now that's it for the sponsors. Uh, Now let's get into the show. Welcome to the show. Thank, thank you, you so much. I came all the way to New York to sit here and talk oh, with you. I'm like, thank I, you so much. We could have done this on a Greek island, but 
Hey, next, next time, time. next time, I, I have done all of the, the traditional Greek islands, Eos, Naxos, Paros, Santorini, um, but I'm sure you could tell me more. Antiparos. We'll talk about that next time. Okay, next time. Um, thank you so much, first of all. And it's, it's, I would say, virtually impossible for anyone in our audience to not know you from uh, what I think the world knows as your biggest project, the Huffington Post. Um, I feel like I took that for granted for a long time. I just was like, oh, it's the Huffington Post. It was very much like, you know, some the New York Times is the thing that existed in the world because it, I, it went from me not knowing it to it being everywhere very quickly. So before we get into one of the things that I think is our biggest topic today, which is sleep, give a little bit of backstory because I don't actually know the story behind the, the start of the Huffington Post. And our audience out there, I feel like they probably want to know too. So if you could give me a little bit of backstory, that'll help frame our conversation. So the Huffington Post is just over 10 years old. And <laughs> we, we built it in 2005. And as you mentioned in your introduction, I've been a writer all my life, but I could see that the conversation was moving online. Yes. And I wanted to not only be part of that conversation, but also create a platform where this conversation could take place. And so from day one, HuffPost was both a journalistic enterprise. We now have 850 editors, reporters all around the world in 15 countries, but also a platform. We have over 100,000 contributors. You wow. wake up and you have an idea and you put it on your Facebook page, you put it on your own site, wherever you want. We want people to also cross-post on the Huffington Post because it's not about exclusivity anymore. Yes. It's so about true. ubiquity. You know, you produce content, you want it to live everywhere. It's very true. So um, that's how um, we've managed to keep growing. We're now over 200 million um, unique <laughs> visitors um, and, oh um, and a very, very vibrant community that focuses a lot, actually, beyond politics and news, which is kind of our bread and butter, mm -hmm. on wellness and how can people lead lives that are more fulfilling, less stressful, and more creative. I have sat down with so many top performers in the world, <clears throat> and there's a, there's a handful of patterns that have emerged, one of which is people that have this sort of career in stamina with longevity, and they do great things, not just once, but over and over and it's great habits. And when we were talking before we started rolling the camera about sleep, of course, are there a set of habits that you feel like you have lived throughout your life? And, and this is assuming that life is a roller coaster, but are there a handful of habits that helped you build Huffington Post and publish, you said 15, 15 mm -hmm. books now? Uh, is, there, is there a set of habits that you feel like that have helped contribute to that? So, the most important habit that, that, that I keep um, getting better and better at, but I'm still not as great as I'd like to be at, is um, remembering that I'm not my job. Um, I think the minute we completely identify with our jobs, uh, we lose our ability to take risks, to be more detached from what we are doing, because very often if you are trying to be creative and and doing new things, you have no guarantees. There are no guarantees. And anytime you want to be completely secure and do only things that are guaranteed to succeed, whatever that may mean, you are not going to do very creative things. 
So for me, that realization, which um, was imbued to me by my mother when we grew up in a one-bedroom apartment in Athens, Greece, she always made me feel I could aim for the stars and if I failed, she wouldn't love me any less. Um, or moving on to, the, to my own spiritual practice, I started meditating when I was in my teens. Oh, we'll have uh, to talk about that. So I kept sort of bringing all those things into my life. But despite all that, I was like you. That's why I so identify with your journey, a Taipei personality who completely bought into the cultural delusion that if I'm really going to achieve a lot of things, uh, I will have to burn out in the process. I felt this was just like the price you have to pay. And um, so literally in 2007, two years into building the Huffington Post, having just come back from taking my oldest daughter on a college tour, um, and our agreement was uh, I wouldn't be on my Blackberry, that's how long ago it was, um, I would end up going to a hotel room at night with her and starting working after she was asleep. So bottom line, I return home and I collapse. I hit my head on my way down, break my cheekbone, come to in a pool of blood, and really, being forced to ask these existential questions. Yeah, you know, yeah. Hey, is this what success looks like? <laughs> a bloody bathroom floor. Oh my and, um, and so that's when I started getting interested in, in changing the cultural assumption around burnout and success. The, the, the habits that people most identify with when I'm talking to them about this, it has very much to do with um, creating a life that's sustainable. And yes. I feel like there's so many heroes in our culture that have you know, achieved something and then, uh, you know, obviously the 28-year-old the artist with Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison, people who, Kurt Cobain, who have ended their own lives. Um, that is something that is like, uh, it's, a, it's a catastrophe culturally. And the people that I know who have become successful on a long arc are people who actually take care of themselves. Put put your own oxygen mask on yes. before assisting other people. Do you feel like that you were a part of the delusion for your whole life up until that moment? Yes. And was that, that literally but a changing moment? Absolutely. I, I feel that I was part of the delusion. And uh, when I started changing, you know how they talk about your keystone habit? Yes. I mean, I changed many things, but my keystone habit was around sleep. It was really the recognition that if I went from four to five hours, which is what I was getting, to seven to eight hours, which is what I needed, everything would be transformed. Uh, that I would be more effective, that I would be more productive, that I would be more creative, that I would be healthier, that my relationships would be better, and also that I would actually have more fun. Yeah, the fun that, part is yeah, so, so critical. That I would bring more joy to my life. And, and that became more and more important. You know, I used to really um, only care about effectiveness, getting stuff done. And now I really care about bringing joy into everything I'm doing. You know, I'm here with you. I'm sort of loving this conversation. I feel really present. I had eight hours sleep though. Normally, I would have had four and I would be like going through the motions. Uh, I would be like doing this conversation and then moving on to the next thing and looking at my watch. And 
you know, we've all been there, right? Going through Guilty. the motions of our day, Guilty. getting stuff done, um, texting until the last minute in bed, turning off the light, and waking up often in the middle of the night because our mind hasn't stopped slowing down. Many times I, I made up, uh, I talked a lot about the gremlins in your head that visit you at like three o'clock. Yes. And the gremlins, that's a thats a term I borrowed from Brene Brown. I don't know if you know Brene. Yeah, incredible, I love Brene and, and the concept of the gremlins. I call it the obnoxious roommate living in your head. <laughs> <laughs> because it's that voice that tells us we're not good enough, that um, goes over the day pointing out all the things we did wrong, or, you know, you could have answered that question better, you forgot to say so, and so, and it's the most draining thing we it can is. do. So not only are we not sleeping, but the, the fact of not getting sleep is putting us in this cycle where we wake up in the middle of the night, we beat ourselves up, which undermines <laughs> our sleep, which is a vicious cycle. So uh, it's fair to say then that there's a component of stamina to living the life that you want to live. Uh, and obviously you've just made the, you've, you've rubber stamped sleep as the thing that you've put in your crosshairs. So I do want to go, just go right to your book, which is The Sleep Revolution. You've written 15 books. Why this? Why now? Because I feel we're at this cultural moment when we desperately need to reevaluate our relationship with sleep. Uh, the casualties have become unsustainable. Um, last year was a year when we had executive after executive collapsing on their treadmill. Some yeah, ended Goldberg. up dead. Um, R.I.P. Dave. Jimmy Lee, the head of M&A at J.P. Morgan, the CEO of United Airlines collapsed, ended up with um, a major heart attack. He's still not back at work. Uh, the CEO of BMW collapsed during a press conference. Isn't it time for us to pay attention? Yeah, and these are the ones that are in the media because of yes, their position culturally. Exactly. And for every one of those, there are you know tens if not hundreds of thousands. Absolutely. And uh, what is interesting here is that we have somehow convinced people, whether they do it or not, that exercise and nutrition are important. But the third leg of the stool is sleep. So, so that's why you have this exhausted executives collapsing while they are trying to work out because they're type A, you know, I'm going to get up at four in the morning and work out before a busy day. That's, that's completely um, not just acceptable, but celebrated. Uh, but the truth of the matter is that all the science tells you that staying in bed an extra hour is more important for everything, including your weight and your health. Like if you're trying to lose weight, the worst thing you can do is go to the gym when you're sleep deprived. And work out for 50 or 60 minutes on the treadmill. Right, yeah. uh, when you're like exhausted and because what happens, and again, we have all the science for that, is that your body will then crave all the wrong foods, uh, fats and carbs. And the hormone um, of satiety, of actually making you feel that you've had enough, is not activated. And also, of course, we all know that from our own experience, that's when you're most likely to get a cold because oh. your immune system is suppressed. So also, if we look at our lives, we see that in the end, we probably end up in bed. <laughs> <laughs> we, it's a, it, it puts you there. Whether One way or another, you, right? That's the way I've learned to think about it, is you can either voluntarily go to bed on your own terms, 
and take care of yourself or your body is a very, very high functioning organism and it will shut it down for you. Exactly. Either by getting a cold or worse or by breaking something because you're not as present in your life. I mean, there's a lot of linkage between cancer. I mean, I don't think the the canon of uh, science hasn't wrapped its head around this fully yet, but there's a lot of connection between cancer and the cancer in our society and these sort of this terrible cycle that we put ourselves in. And also heart disease. Yeah. Um, And that's really why this new science is so fascinating and dramatically changing uh, the way we look at sleep, both in terms of health, but also equally fascinating for people uh, watching now who care about their creativity, sleep and the brain. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, Let, let's go there because I think from, uh, again, there's a range of ages who tune into our shows here, uh, this show, my show on Creative Live, and if we put it in terms of like, oh, this is sort of a life and death matter, or there's a, just the ability to push that off. Yeah, right? absolutely, it's like, oh, because it's, we're it's immortal. That's right. Didn't we're you all, know that? Young and hungry or and hard charging. Or as John Bon Jovi sang, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Yes. So let's turn that into, instead of this sort of uh, doomsday, let's talk about creativity specifically. I will tell you that I track 10 behaviors every day, just, and it started off as I realized that I, didn't, I don't have some goal of losing weight or achieving X thing. It's this, if I do these 10 things, I'm a better uh, friend, I'm a better creative, I'm a better husband, uh, I'm smarter, sharper, whatever. And the first thing on that list is sleep. And that is 100% new to me. Um, so talk about the relationship, if you will, between sleep and what I do for a career, which is you know, take pictures, direct things, and build companies. So talk to me about the, the link between creativity and sleep. You said you've got science in here, but tell, tell me a little story. What's the narrative around sleep and creativity? Well, first of all, I'm so happy to hear that. It's a huge change. I like, mean, I just love it because I think you're going to be able to influence so many people because people need to hear it from different sources. Yeah. Uh, guys may need to hear it from you then more than they need to hear it from me. So we're all going to... <laughs> You know, we are all going to reach different audiences. And for me, I love, uh, I love having macho-looking guys like you talk about sleep. That's I'll take it. it. You got that on camera, right? <laughs> That's incredibly important because honestly, um, parenthetically, I had dinner with a guy recently who bragged that he had only gotten four hours sleep the night before. Truly bragged. It was like wearing it like a badge of honor. And I didn't say it, but I wanted to say so badly. You know what? If you had gotten five, this dinner would have been so much more interesting. Uh, but so changing Ooh. that, you know, changing the, the assumption that um, if you're really smart and dedicated and creative, sleep is for losers. You know, you snooze, you lose. Look at all the language yeah. in our culture. So all the evidence now shows, first of all, that contrary to what we believed, sleep is not a time of inactivity, but a time of frenetic activity in the brain. It's the time when all the accumulated toxins and waste from the day are cleaned up. And as one scientist put it, just think of it, you can either entertain the guests or clean up the house. The brain cannot do both at the same time. That has huge implications for memory, for retrieval of information, 
and for also tapping to a deeper part of ourselves, which is when we are most creative. That's the so, truth. you know, if you want to operate on the surface and be purely transactional, you know, answering emails, uh, cleaning your closet, whatever it is, sure, you can do it and be sleep deprived. If you really want to create, you need to be able to tap to a deeper place. That's absolutely an entire, for me, it's an entirely different mode of operating. I, I, I put time on my calendar because I believe that doing something every day is a great way to get into a habit. But I absolutely 100% know that if, I'm, if I am not rested in all these things, that great ideas don't come. It's like trying to have a great idea in the middle of a party. <laughs> you know, there's this, that we, we are able to take in information and get influence, but sort of the synthesis of new ideas only happens for me in quiet. Right. And in quiet when I actually have some sort of a health paradigm going on. So it, talk to me a little bit about, so that there's, there is scientific correlation between productivity or creativity and sleep. I'm sure there's a host of other things. So talk to me a little bit about the, the bigger picture. If we're cleaning our house, like what's actually happening at a scientific level? So literally what's happening is that what is known as the glymphatic system, which is the plumbing system of the brain, mm -hmm. is activated during sleep. And that's when the cleaning up takes place. So if you want to use a different metaphor, <laughs> I bet you've been up for days, right? You've been working on this for some time. Um, we used to think that um, when you sleep, it's like putting your car in the garage and turning the ignition key off. No. Think of it as though your car becomes a driverless car and runs essential errands for you. And that's why dreaming is so important, too. Um, I have an entire section on dreams because so many creative people came up yeah. with some amazing ideas during dreams. Dreams have been super. I, I, I worked for years to lucid dream. Uh, it became a really important thing for me. It's, it's become less important, but dreams, they definitely, uh, for myself and a lot of other folks that I know, tell me about the relationship between sleep and dreams. Well, first of all, if we're sleep deprived, we're much, much less likely to remember our dreams. Okay. Uh, because, first of all, we are never going to wake up naturally. We always need an alarm clock to wake, up, to wake up. And just think of it, the word alarm. It's a terrible word. A terrible I've never word. thought of that. It basically means that the minute you wake up, you're in a fight-or-flight mode, which is wow. the worst way to create. Absolutely. I really don't remember the last time I needed a wake up, uh, an alarm to wake up. You know, I, I sometimes will set my alarm if there is something really important sure, I have to do. To just to be absolutely sure that yeah. I will be up. But almost invariably, if I've gotten enough sleep, I'll wake up naturally. And that is really a completely different experience. So let's talk about the flip side, which is we're busy people. Life gets after us. Um, we do enough beating up of ourselves. We talk about yes. that in the middle of the night sometimes. Uh, how militant do we need to be about sleep? Do is it is like life gets busy sometimes? Is it okay? Can you can you sleep two hours one night and fifteen the next? So talk to me a little bit about the the reality of sleep. Already you're negotiating. <laughs> oh, I'm just trying to be. I, I, I want realistic. Okay, yeah, so be, but absolutely. I, I've also I've made dramatic changes in my own life, but I, I also know there was a processing period for me absolutely. where I really was. So negotiating. I think you're raising a very important point. Okay. First of all, 
the most important thing is for nobody to judge yourselves. Because the truth is that it's not our fault that most of us have been living under this delusion that sleep is negotiable. Our culture yes, so true. Uh, is, is so true. really believes that so profoundly. It's like if we were living um, during the age when everyone believed the world is flat. You know, that was the prevalent assumption. So we were brought up uh, during an age when sleep was seen to be dispensable. And I have a whole section to explain why. Because my goal, the way I built the narrative of the book, was to, first of all, talk about the crisis. Here clearly, is the crisis. It's present. obvious. Give all the data. Then, talk about the science, which is amazing and proves why, half, why um, sleep is so essential. And we have a whole dedicated section on HuffPost about that. And then the third thing is explaining how did we get here? How did we get to the sleep crisis? And that's the history section, which starts with the first industrial revolution, when we started thinking we can treat human beings like machines and minimize downtime. I, let's go into that. I think to me that's really, really interesting. I, I make a connection between our educational system and the factory, which is derivative of the, the first industrial revolution, specifically coming out of Germany. They got very, very yes. good at, at the factories of making widgets. And the thing about widgets is that they're designed, you put some raw material in, things move through a system, and that system is very regimented. Everything happens at the same time to every single piece in that project. And it comes out, and the goal of the factory is to make like items. Right. So when you think about our education system, we it, it is very effective at the thing that it does of moving people through a system. But do we think everyone learns the same? Obviously, we know that's not true. Do we think everyone needs to learn at the same pace? Obviously, that's not true. But we have this system, and we want a culture who's, it would, that is ripe with creativity and innovation, and yet we have a system that is completely antithetical to that. So if the, the, the factory, the Industrial Revolution, was a paradigm for, a, bad, a ter terrible paradigm for creating an educational system for us, are you saying that that same industrial revolution was terrible for us and for sleep? Absolutely. And so we, <clears throat> we literally um, began to treat sleep, as Thomas Edison said, uh, when he invented the light bulb, as something which future generations would completely eliminate. So you have a he cultural icon. Yes, you have a cultural icon. You missed one there, Tom. <laughs> you know, you have somebody who was revered who actually said that sleep, he considered it was the one thing that reduced dramatically people's effectiveness. So it became like seen as a weakness. Yeah. And you know, I, we held a sleep clinic in Harlem to help people who are struggling to put food on the table to reprioritize sleep. And literally, I had people coming up to me and blaming themselves for being tired after four hours sleep, as though this was some weakness in them, which very successful people like Chase never and projected. Thomas Edison in the past <laughs> never You heard had. that too, <laughs> me and Thomas Edison, same sentence. But you know what I'm saying? It's like we had so many CEOs, you know, congratulating employees for working 24-7. How many times haven't you heard that? Which is the cognitive equivalent according to the latest science of coming to work drunk. 
Well, I'd rather do that. <laughs> I'm sleepy. <laughs> but the point, I, I, when I look at, uh, I work very hard, but I'm always careful to caution. Like, make sure you take care of yourself. Put your oxygen right. mask on before every uh, before you're helping somebody else. But our culture is still not doing that. And I understand you're tr- setting up to change that. You set up to change the paradigm of publishing. What like what is going to get us to listen? Well. I think it's a combination of two things. It's all the latest science, so even the most stubborn skeptic can be convinced by data. But it's also opening our eyes to the casualties, both in our own lives, in the lives of those we love, and also in the news. You know, the minute you become aware of it, more and more data (laughs) is coming your way every day. And all that, Chase, is connected also with our relationship with technology. More and more creative people are re-evaluating their relationship with technology. And that's very connected with sleep. Interesting. Keep uh, going, keep going. Because, how, is it, how is it connected? Well, what's happening, first of all, is that right now, we take better care of our smartphones than we take care of ourselves. Like, I bet everybody watching now knows approximately how much battery remains on your smartphone. But when this day, is a painful, this is a painful right? analogy. And if it gets so like true. if it gets like below thirteen percent, we begin to get anxious <laughs> and look around for a recharging shrine, lest <laughs> something shrine. would happen to our precious smartphone. And and now you're always plugging it in. You're always plugging it in because it's so precious. And my God, what would happen if it died, right? So, if you had asked me the morning I collapsed, Ariana, how are you? I would have said fine because I had forgotten (laughs) what fine was. I had forgotten what it was to be operating on a 100% battery. So the fact that I was actually below 0%, I was unaware of until I collapsed. So I think if we don't recognize that technology is, is there to help us lead our lives, We need to stop giving it the power to run our lives, and especially for creative people. Yes. Um, What happens now is that we're living in what has been called um, partial attention all the time. And creativity is about unitasking. Creativity is not about multitasking. Can't do it. You can't be creating something and being on social media or um, answering your texts, etc., etc., And that's also extremely connected with sleep because what has been missing, the single most important thing I'm going to say in terms of a tool and technique, which is the last section of the book. Yeah, you I see, do want to get there for I sure. I think it's terribly important not to jump to that section because we are all like... We're trying to optimize our we reading. We all want to optimize our reading and say, okay, tell me what to do. No, because it doesn't matter how much I tell you what to do. If I haven't convinced you of the importance of changing habits, it's not going to stick. So that's why I want to take people through this journey. Understanding the crisis, understanding the science, 50 pages of scientific end notes. You can skip the end notes, but at least you can see the science. Understanding how we got here, the history, dreams, because that will convince you that amazing people from great scientists to Larry Page, who came up with the idea of Google in a dream, came up with amazingly creative ideas in dreams. So once all that 
has been absorbed, then you can move to the tips and techniques. And the most important um, tool <laughs> is to recognize that anybody who has a child will relate to that. You need a transition to sleep. This is where the technology comes into. That's where the technology comes in, exactly. Mm. Like if you have a baby or a, um, a young child, you know, you never just dump it in bed, right? <laughs> Here, here's your iPad, put yourself to sleep. No, you give it a bath, you put it in its PJs, you sing it a lullaby, you lower the lights. We need to have a similar ritual for ourselves. I offer dozens of techniques. We need to become our own scientists and experiment and see what works for us. I have found out what works for me and I do it every night, wherever I am, whether I'm in my room, in my own bedroom, or in a hotel room, 30 minutes before I'm going to go to sleep, I turn off all the devices and gently escort them out of the bedroom. If you're in a hotel room, put them in the bathroom, whatever, away from your bed. Then I have a hot bath. If you prefer a shower, have a hot shower, but it's like a ritual. It's like a cleansing ritual when you're washing the day away. You know, even in the most blessed life, every day is a mixture. So true. Of good things and bad things, of obstacles and challenges. And so we need to just literally call it a day. <laughs> and this is it. Yeah, put a pin in that. Put a pin on that. Is, and there, is there, how important is the, the length of the ritual? Because I understand ritual means sort of a set of behaviors yeah. that you're doing over and over. And do, do the things that make up the ritual matter? And is the key to to have some of those things that you mentioned, like what you would do with the young child, where you'd lower the lights, you'd sing a lullaby. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we need to sing ourselves lullaby. Maybe we do. But is it, what of the, you talked about this 30 minute period. What about the content of that 30 minutes? Yes. Is, it, is it important? Well, first of all, I think you're raising a very important point. If you can't start with 30 minutes, start with 10. The important thing is to start somewhere. Yeah. It's not to make the 30 minutes the doctrine. Okay. You know, start. Yeah, and this is that realistic part. That's that the realistic I part. I started meditating and I, you know, I, was, I, I do TM, so I was told 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the evening, and I found it very challenging right. at first. Start with five. Yeah, and Absolutely. pretty soon I started realizing that, oh man, I, I really, this is like my time. Yeah. And so now I started, I, I flipped some switch in myself where I started carving out that precious time. So. Your advice, I'm going to paraphrase here, take five if you have time, five, take Take ten. anything, take okay. anything. Uh, but the first essential thing is separate yourself from your devices. Okay. That's probably the most important thing. Okay. Even if it's five minutes before you're going to turn off the lights, escort them, them out of your bedroom. <laughs> I like the escort. It sounds so formal. I love it. Yes. Goodbye. Goodbye. Yeah. Uh, I'll find you in the morning. <laughs> um, I think the, having like a bath or a shower, even if it's like five minutes, yeah. uh, it's just a symbolic ritual of water. Uh, putting on, if you're, unless you're sleeping naked, put on PJs or a nightdress or a t-shirt that you don't also wear to the gym, which is what I used to do. I used to wear the, my gym clothes to bed, not literally the ones I wore yeah. that day. But. <laughs> Uh, the same clothes, and as a result, your brain, now science tells us, gets conflicting messages. Like, are we going to the gym or are we powering down 
Oh, that's interesting. It's very simple. Yeah, very simple, but, but obvious you can see you it. Know, you can see it. And then I personally only read real books in bed. And I read nothing that has to do with my work. I mean, you studied For, philosophy. Yeah, I, I love to read philosophy. I love to read poetry. I love to uh, read spiritual books. Anything that reminds me that I'm more than the Huffington Post, I'm more than the sleep revolution, <laughs> I'm more than all my projects. So powerful. And that means that um, you are ready to sort of cross that bridge to a mystery, because sleep is such a huge mystery. Even with all the new science, it still remains a huge mystery, in the same way that human life is such a huge mystery. Uh, whether you're an atheist or a believer, it's impossible not to recognize that we don't know we most don't have things a lot about of, we don't life. We have a lot of explanation. And this is kind of the time when we are entering that mystery. Is it a reverence? Should we revere sleep? Or should we think of it as a utility? Like, help frame it for me. How, how well, we, there's how definitely we a reverence. Okay. So this is a very interesting point because, of course, in ancient times, so this was ancient Rome or ancient Greece or ancient Egypt, sleep was revered. There were temples that were literally sleeping temples mm. where people could go to incubate their dreams, to ask healing advice. Now, a lot of people who are recognizing the importance of sleep are coming to it as a performance enhancer. You know, you're an athlete and you recognize that if you're sleep deprived, you're going to be not as good on the field or in the court. I quote a lot of athletes, whether it's Kobe Bryant or Andre Iguodala from the Golden State Warriors, whose game improved tangibly and measurably because they're now getting enough sleep. So as far as I'm concerned, I don't really care how you start. You know, one of Let's the things I say in the book is come for the job enhancing benefits and stay for the life enhancing benefits. That, that mirrors my, my personal example. I, I wanted to be uh, better at work. I was taking on a bunch of new challenges and uh, the, what I was surprised was how fast I moved from that state into I'm a better human. Yes. I mean, and you, you mentioned joy. Is there some connection between sleep and joy? Absolutely, huge connection. You know, I spent a large part of my life when I measured um, my days based on how much stuff I got done. <laughs> yes. And, and now I just, if I have a measure, it's how much joy did I bring into my day? and um, into the lives of those attached and, and how much did I love my day and that includes um, the challenges of the day. Yeah. I mean I've become so much less reactive uh, so when, when bad things happen <laughs> to good people <laughs> I just take them in my stride because that's life and, I, and because I'm in a place where I can do that. So what's happened to go back to your question about building habits. Yes. So, I started with some discipline. I needed to, in, to bring, to build any new habit, you need a little discipline, yes. but not a lot, because I started with very microscopic steps, you know, adding 30 minutes more to my night's sleep. You know, I didn't go from four to eight. You know, that's again, unrealistic. Yeah. And then what happened, little by little, it became like a magnet that drew me. 
So I needed less and less discipline because what, what happened is that I stopped, I stopped liking the person I am when I'm sleep deprived. I don't really want to be around me. <laughs> Would you call it the obnoxious roommate? The obnoxious roommate, the reactive person, the person who gets upset at everything. You look at me the wrong way and I take it personally, you know, I mean, yeah, that's what happens to me yeah. at the more obvious level when I'm sleep deprived. Also, categorically, I've been a better leader. I've been more creative in my own work and in terms of leading the Huffington Post. I've been much clearer about where we needed to go and what we needed to do, much clearer about whom I wanted to bring into the operation. I would say categorically, every hiring mistake I made, and as an entrepreneur, yeah, that's your, these your people are, are huge yeah, mistake. everything. It was because I was tired. And I was literally wanted to cross that thing off my to-do list. And so I ignored all the red flags and all the little intuitive feelings that we get. Intuition was the thing that I felt changed in me the most and the willingness to listen to it. Uh, and, and I don't know, there's probably some sort of chemical connection between the two things, but when you said intuition, yes. I was like, that's the thing that changed in me the most. And with hiring, with all these other things, um, what, like, I, I want to try and put a little bow around our conversation. So, if I was to, if, if you were to, I'm going to put a couple, I'm going I'm to start the conversation and then you finish it. So, You've told me that uh, you, you've taken people on a journey here in the sleep revolution. You've given a little background, you've given the science, the why, how we got to where we are. Then you give us a couple of tidbits. What am I not asking you about sleep that I should be asking you? Is there anything in your, like, again, if I was to, to ask you to summarize, what's the, what's the bow that you can put on this conversation? What have I not asked about sleep that you think that I should? So, given that um, everybody watching is particularly interested in their creativity yes. and how to tap into the creative being that they are, I would say categorically um, that sleep is absolutely key here. And um, if you look at many creative people who've talked about how their best ideas have come out of stillness, whether it's Steve Jobs talking about um, having his best ideas after Zen meditation, yes. or Bill Gates talking about taking time and going out in the woods without devices. You know, all these people who are really, after all, the architects of the technological so of ecosystem world, yes. we live in, and yet they talk about that, are just reminders of the fact that However magnificent our jobs may be, there is something more magnificent in us. And that's the place from which we create. And whether we are creating a piece of art or we are creating a new company, um, we need to tap into that. And oh. that's why so many people have their best ideas in the shower. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm actually terrified that somebody will invent um, a smartphone that's, um, that you can take to the shower, and that will be the end. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have no good ideas, no more good ideas. No more good ideas. If you're thinking in about the that and you're an entrepreneur out there, don't do it. Um, I am incredibly grateful for having spent the last hour with you. Um, the book is The Sleep Revolution. Um, 
I believe that you know you saw around the corner with publishing in the future of as you said sort of everywhere information. It's not something that's uh, that we want to keep keep tight, but we probably want to distribute. Uh, you've brought hundreds of thousands of creators to your platform. Um, I think you're onto something. I'm grateful for you bringing it up. You've made me want to be a steward of your idea, uh, and uh, I will do that for as many people uh, as I can. So. Thank you, debt of gratitude. Thank you, thank you I so much. I appreciate your time. The, the uh, folks out there in the internet who are paying attention, uh, I hope you took some serious notes. This is the real deal. Sleep is going to be your friend. If, it's, if sleep isn't the next six months for you, then you actually call me personally and I'll <laughs> let you know why you're wrong. Uh, thanks so much for, for paying attention to what it is that we do here at Creative Live. Uh, you can re-listen to this as many times as you want because there's a very important message there. Thanks a lot and have a great one. All right, that about wraps it up. But before I let you go, I want to say A, a huge thank you. B, let you know how to find me. I'm basically at Chase Jarvis all over the internet on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I'm very active on Snapchat. You guys should check it. If that's a platform that you enjoy, uh, check me out there as well as all the other ones. It's a super important ask for you to share this also. Uh, subscribe via iTunes, SoundCloud, and or Stitcher. And most definitely, if you're willing to put in a little bit of extra juice, please leave a review on iTunes. That helps make our podcast more visible. Last place that you can check it out and, and get some additional value is in my newsletter, which is chasejarvis.com slash VIP. That is where I put content out before it hits my social platforms. So that's sort of the insider track. Leave comments all over the internet for me. I will track them down and respond as best I can. And uh, again, huge thank you for listening to the podcast. And I'm looking forward to the next episode already. I hope you'll join me next time.